Over the last few months, we've discussed the factors that posts can take into account when they issue halachic decisions. We noted that first a post develops what is the most likely understanding of the halachic issue by balancing his understanding of the canonical texts, by researching what previous authorities have said about the issue, by analyzing the customs that have developed around this halacha. In the last few weeks, we discussed the complexity of taking that theoretical law and applying it to reality and some of the halachic issues that are involved in terms of assessing the reality. And we also discussed the notion of psikat halacha v'sharat that while normally a posaic will follow the most likely interpretation of a sugya, when there are extenuating circumstances, the posaic may be willing to rely on either a less accepted position or a more tenuous understanding of the sugya. What I want to discuss now is the extent to which a posaic is not simply attempting to determine halacha, but he's attempting to establish policy. There was an article in Tchumen, volume Lamed Chet, by Shlomo Daikovsky, on the issue of Medinyut, Bipsakalacha, of policy making, in Psakalacha. And he goes through several issues in which it is clear that Poskim are not merely making halachic decisions. But they're also attempting to formulate policies that will affect the decisions of the issue. Now, I want to distinguish here, because in a certain sense, psikar halacha b'sharatchak, any case in which a posseik rules in a way that is not the most intuitive or most accepted understanding of the sugya, one could argue that that is essentially an act of policymaking. One is determining that in this case, the policy that the halachic community should follow, or perhaps the individual should follow, is not that which would be dictated by perhaps the simplest understanding of the sugya. And sometimes, when we're talking about mediniyut, we're talking about policymaking, what we're talking about are poskim choosing to rule in particular ways to formulate policy, but essentially they're issuing psak in the classic sense. But there are other instances in which one sees that poskim are actively not attempting to claim that this is the halacha, that this should be followed because it is the law. Not even the law in this particular sense, in the limited understanding of the word law. But perhaps they are formulating halachically inspired policies and encouraging the halachically committed community to follow their advice, their guidance, even when recognizing that what they are saying and what they are advising is not the strict letter of the law. And that could also be termed 
מדיניות, policy making of פוסקים. Um, perhaps to clarify why this makes sense and why this finds its place in Psaac, it's worth turning to the Rambam's commentary, to Avot, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Yudzayin. And there the Rambam writes, he's talking in this context about the different types of speech, but his models are relevant for all areas of halachic and religious life. And he says there, Ki hadibur, speech, yitchalek lefi chiyuv toratenu lechamisha chalakim, can be subdivided into five categories. Mitzvah, v'atsur, the extremes are obligated and forbidden. But then, in the middle, there is ma'us v'ahuv, disgusting, repulsive, and beloved, umutar, and then permitted, the neutral zone. And what the Rambam tells you is that it would be a mistake to view the entirety of Torah as being divided into Asur Mutar, or even Asur Mutar and Mitzvah, or Chiyuv. It would be a mistake to limit the entire world to neutral, obligated, and forbidden. The Torah, in addition, has values that it tries to give over to its adherents, And therefore, there are categories where it's not per se forbidden, but it's the wrong thing to do. It's not per se obligated, but it's the right thing to do. And I think that post-scheme often are engaging not just in instructing on the asur, mutar, mitzvah, or chiyuv, but they are also sometimes guiding in the ma'us and the ahuv, the beloved and the repulsive, the things which require halachic and Torah guidance, but cannot be determined strictly as issues of law. And here, the line sometimes between poskim who are encouraging a particular psaq or paskening in a particular way because they feel the extenuating circumstances and therefore they formulate their psaq as asur umutar but what is motivating them in fact is extenuating circumstances and they present their decision from within the realms of asur mutar Chayav, and cases in which poskim recognize that there is room on a strict halachic level to say one thing, but they argue that the spirit of the Torah indicates that halachic policy should be different, often those lines are a bit blurry, and therefore, as I said, both of these issues could be determined, could be understood as issues of policy-making. But in the end of the day, both of them emerge from the understanding that there is more to an authentic halachic life than yes, no, 
obligated, forbidden, but there are also things that are in line with the totality of the Torah and things that are not in line with the totality of the Torah. And poskim who see their role correctly as guiding those who listen to them to do the right thing, not just to do what is asur, not do what is asur, and do what is chayav, and be allowed to do what is mutar, but living lifestyles that are halachically ideal, it is not surprising. And in fact, when one thinks about it, it is the obvious path that it must take to be engaged in this broader idea of halachic Torah policy making. I want to give a few examples, perhaps not of the Psikat Halacha B'Sharat Chak, because we've discussed that a little bit. And as I said, that gets a little bit murky, because there, the decisions are often presented as Asur or Chayav. What I want to talk about is the cases in which it is clear that Poskim are in fact directly presenting their position as issues of, so to speak, Torah or halachic policy. One of the clearest examples, I believe, is found in a celebrated tshuva of the Nodabiuda, Rivicheska Landa, in the Mehadura Tinyana of Yeradea Siman Yud. The Nodabiuda was asked whether it is permitted to hunt. Now, this tshuva is often miscited. And people say that what the Nodibihuda writes there is that it is forbidden. However, that does a great disservice to this particular responsum by the Nodibihuda. Because in fact, the Nodibihuda goes to great lengths to explain why it is probably not forbidden. And he notes that the potential halachic issues that one might face are tsar balei chayim, the prohibition of causing pain to animals, or baltashchit, the prohibition of wanton destruction. And he goes through at length in the tshuva arguing that it's probably not tsar balei chayim. Because human beings are permitted to inflict pain on animals for the benefit of human beings. And it's probably also not baltashrit if the person enjoys hunting. It's not danderech hashchata. And then he notes that maybe baltashrit is midirabanan when not referring to fruit trees, which is the context in the Torah. At any rate, he notes that the he v- believes that the strict halachic argument to say it is forbidden is actually not so strong. And yet, after saying that he doesn't think it is forbidden, he says, "Omnam ma'od ani al gufadavar." I am shocked that someone would ask this. Because in the Torah, the only hunters are Nimrod 
and Esau. This is not the way of the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. etc. And then he goes on and he quotes several sources. But his fundamental argument, he says, Cases in which you do see the killing of animals, he limits them, it's maybe when you don't mean to, or perhaps if they happen to come to you, so then it's permitted to kill them. To go and chase them into their into the forest, into their homes. These are animals that don't normally frequent human abodes. Sorry. This is not a mitzvah. You're just following your yitzir hara. If this is your parnasa, you're a furrier. Okay, so it's not cruel. We kill animals to eat. There's no difference from a halachic perspective if you're killing them to eat, you're killing them for parnasah. The animal world is given over to human beings. But this is not for your sustenance. But if it's not for your parnasah, it's not for your livelihood. That's just cruel. And then he notes, at the end of the Jew, he goes back and says, well, maybe it is dangerous, so maybe there is a formal prohibition based on the Mishmartim, but before that, he says, until now, I have spoken from the vantage point of that which is proper. For each person, person to distance himself from this. And now I'll say, okay, maybe it's also prohibited. Because you have to go to dangerous places, etc. But what is striking about this tshuva is that he tells you that the main argument he's making is not that it's Asur. The fact that it's Asur for him is basically an afterthought. Is that once, well, it's not justified in the spirit of the Torah, so then it's not justified because it's an unnecessary danger. And he even goes through all the potential holistic arguments and rejects the main ones and only comes up with sort of this ancillary outside concern of safety. But he tells you that his decision is mitzad hayosher. It's based on the right thing to do, what people should do, based on the narrative 
spirit of the Torah that he developed from the fact that Jews are never described as hunters. It's only Nimrod and Esav who are negative characters in the Torah. And the note of Yehuda therefore is here very explicitly engaging not in psak in the sense of asur mutar, chayav, but he's engaging in policy. And he's saying this is the wrong type of action for Jews to take. And he doesn't pretend that he's issuing a localized psak, that there's a sif in Shulchan Aruch he can point to that says yes or no. He's embracing the reality that Torah is more complex than Asur Mutar, Asur Mutar Chayav, but that there is a range and there can be things which are right and things which are wrong. And that the job of a Poseik is not just to say yes or no, but is to encourage people to take the proper Torah action. One can connect this to the Ramban, the celebrated Ramban, in Parshak Doshim and Vaid Chanan, where the Ramban notes that the Torah could not and had no interest in detailing every single action that a human being should do, not in the realm of interpersonal law, not in the realm of halacha ben adam lamakom, between man and God, but rather the Torah set up the mitzvot as guideposts to teach us what we're supposed to do, and then we, to embrace the totality of the Torah's message, have to commit to following the spirit of the law. As I once heard it very succinctly summarized by Rabbi Menachem Liktag on my first Shabbat in Yeshiva, the way the Ramban views the Torah is like a connect-the-dots picture. The mitzvot are 613 dots, and the picture that emerges is the spirit of the law, and we are bound to follow the spirit of the law as well. And the Ramban argues that there are two separate mitzvot that obligate this, or separate psukim that obligate this, in the context of Adam Lamakom, this is Kidoshim Tihiyu, you should be holy. And in the context of Adam Lechavero, interpersonal law, it's Vasita Yashar Vehatov. Vehatov, you shall do the right and the good. And the Ramban writes, The Torah comes after delineating all the prohibitions that it totally forbade. And commanded generally. From the fact that there are so many sexual prohibitions, we learn that you aren't supposed to be completely sunken in in sexuality, even permitted sexuality. The fact that we have mitzvot, as he says, like Nazir, that remind us that alcohol can lead to problems. And we have stories in the Torah like Noah and Lot 
So you shouldn't be a drunkard, even if there may not be a particular law that prohibits it. You shouldn't eat too much and be a glutton. You shouldn't speak in unrefined ways, etc. In this way and in others, this general overarching mitzvah comes after prohibiting that which is completely forbidden, until you enter into cleanliness in your hands, in your body, etc. And here too the Ramban argues that the totality of Torah cannot be summed up in what is a mitzvah, what is asur, what is mutar, what is chayav. And there is this recognition that the Torah is more expansive than that. And therefore, as we saw in the note to Behuda, a posseg that is attuned to this reality, the Torah is more than this reductionist book of yes and no's and embraces his role as Torah guide, will of necessity attempt to persuade those who are willing to listen, not just to follow him when he says yes, no, mutar, chayav, asur, but to follow the spirit that emerges from the law. What Rav Daikovsky points out in his article and I don't want to go through all of his examples in detail. But that this is not just true at the individual level, but when poskim are formulating halachic decisions for a community, they often take in some complex combination of halacha and understanding of the reality and the necessity for a community that will be most likely to follow halacha in the narrow sense and the Torah's worldview in the broader sense. And they take this into account, especially when it comes to communal decisions. Because as much as it is true that a posik's responsibility is not just to say asur mutar chayav, when it comes to an individual... It's even more true when they are turned to to answer and weigh in on broader issues that affect the ethos of the community. And here I will note that the complexity that we discussed in the previous weeks of how does a posseik assess the mitziut the reality upon which to apply the halachic norms. As complicated as that is, when it comes to black and white law, and we discussed this, both at the personal level, using the example of medical issues, and at the communal national level, using the example of land for peace, this becomes infinitely harder when... The issue is not just 
halacha, but halacha policy, Torah policy. Because often here, the posseik is called upon to make a decision about the direction that a psak might take and the, the effects it might have on a community. And when they're trying to formulate what will make sure that the community is most likely to follow halacha or most likely to lead a Torah-appropriate lifestyle, they have to have their finger on the pulse of the community and really see the broader issues. And this is even more amorphous because sometimes it'll take the form of a posseg saying, this could be a good idea if it's done for the right reasons. But if done for the right reasons, it's a bad idea. It'll be destructive. And for a posseg to be able to put their finger on what it is, not just that people are doing, but what are people feeling? What is their motivation? Where will this lead? And in some cases, what the relevant factor is not just what is someone's motivation? But what might someone's motivation be down the road? So here they're being called on not just to understand and assess people's psychology, but to predict the future and maybe the psychology of others and engage in sociology and see the bigger picture and how will this mold a community. It's in these realms that it is even more complicated for a posseik to assess the mitziyut. But on the other hand, they don't really have a choice if they want to formulate policy. They need to engage in some attempt to understand the reality of the community. Now some of the examples that Rev. Dykovsky gets into, for example, are if one would determine that it is permitted for and again each of these issues are quite sensitive and I'm not attempting in the few minutes that we have left to engage in any seriousness in these issues but merely to illustrate the types of discussions that Rev. Dykovsky covers there that point to the complexity of some of these issues some of the examples he raises should should one determine that it is technically permitted for a woman who has unfortunately not been able to get married for whatever reason to have a child outside of wedlock through a donor? And there he discusses, is this something we should encourage? What is the halachic value of a family unit? Even if in a particular case it might be justified, what will this say about the Torah view of family in general? Another case, issues of choosing the sex of the child, using um, pre-genetic screening, especially in cases of IVF, is that permitted? Or should it be encouraged? And under what circumstances? Should it be encouraged in cases where there is a sex-linked disease, where choosing one sex over the other might be productive for health reasons? What if 
it's to fulfill the mitzvah of Puravu. One has six boys and wants to have a girl. What if one is already engaging in IVF because the couple is suffering from infertility and therefore one is not going out of their way to engage in IVF simply to choose the sex of the child? One is already here. Does that change it? What if the father is a Kohen and doesn't want anyone to know that his child is not biologically his own and therefore only wants girls so that it won't be evident every time he gets up to do Birkat Kohanim that his son is not really his son. And a host of other issues are discussed by the postkim when they try to formulate should this be something that even if we could determine that it's mutter, would it be something that we in, would encourage and under what circumstances? Should restaurants... That, are, that violate halacha that does not relate to kashrut, whether it be Shabbat, the entertainment they allow, or anything else. Should we give them a hashkacha? On the one hand, it could be that by giving them a hashkacha, you're ensuring that many people who don't care about kashrut per se and simply frequent this restaurant because that is good food or this hotel because it isn't a nice place will unwittingly eat kosher. But on the other hand, will this give the wrong perspective to the community and indicate that perhaps that the Rabbanim do not care about these ancillary issues and they limit themselves to kashrut. And he goes through several other issues and his argument throughout is that what you see is that the perspective of, of a posaic must be broader than simply asur mutar chayav, but must be how will this affect the community? How will this be viewed? What will this do down the line? What are the meta issues that are involved here? And in each of these cases, while there are halachic issues involved, there are also issues that are clearly policy. But what I've tried to show here is that this notion that the Poseik's responsibility is for more than just asturmu tarchayav, but is to encourage the community to do what is right and avoid that which is wrong, ahuv and ma'us, that the Poseik's responsibility is also to try to get the community to keep halacha and do the right thing. And therefore, it is the responsibility of a responsible posik to pay attention to the broader issues and care about policy concerns that are inspired by halacha, inspired by the Torah, but are not necessarily reducible to black and white law. Rav Dykowski notes that perhaps a case in the Gemara in which you see this responsibility of a posseik to see the broader picture when making halachic decisions is most evident in the tragic story of Reb Zechariah ben Avkulis, which the Gemara records, that because he could not make up his mind of what to do in the story discussed in uh, of Gitin, of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, where he couldn't decide whether it was worth risking that people would 
think that one who puts a mum on a korban should be put to death. Or whether people would think that the penalty for putting a mum in a korban was death. Because he couldn't make up his mind and was just frozen, the Gemara says that that's why the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. And in this Gemara you see that the Gemara is critiquing not necessarily his psak, but his inability to take the broader perspective and make a decision. Um, and this points to this notion. And I, I think there are different ways of understanding the exact critique that the Gemara has of Rabbi Zechariah ben Akulis, but I think it is undeniable that the Gemara is critiquing him, not per se for his psak, but as the Gemara says, mitoch anvesanuso, it was his indecision that led to this destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And here, again, the Gemara is not critiquing him for his psaq, but for his inability to simply act as a leader and make a decision, any decision. And this already indicates this recognition that the role of Poseik is beyond that of saying Asur, Mutar, uh, and the like, but is attempting to create a community which is committed to the broader values and doing the right thing and being Ro'ed and Nolad and seeing how things will develop and trying to make holistic decisions that are true to the totality of the Torah. Next week we will return to this issue and focus not just on the broader concerns that Poskim must take into account to give a full Torah decision, but also the role of rhetoric, meaning the way that Poskim say things and how important that is when it comes to encouraging this type of broader value system when writing halachic decisions.